Welcome to episode... (laughs) 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 Intro... Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 15 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Rick. And I am your other host, Patrick. And we are happy to be here with you for our last Oktoberfest Festival of Celebrations, Octobering Festivals Festival. So week four, <laughs> I think we it's had a different name every single week <laughs> because no one wrote it down. And we and we obviously are too lazy to go back and listen to it. What's funny is I listened to the I listened to the previous week's episode at least once just to you know see what we can do better or whatever. Make sure critique we myself a little bit. Up. And um, man, I never have a chance. I never remember to write stuff down like that. So oh well, such is life. The twenty twenty Oktoberfest festival will be will will be better organized. I promise you that much. I can guarantee you it won't be better organized. <laughs> Uh, you're probably right. Anyway, so what do we got? Tonight? Who do we have on tap for tonight? We have the Pauliner, or Pauliner, or however you say that in German. I don't know. Oktoberfest Marzen. So this one is also from Munich. This is one from Germany. This is one we picked up from our secret location of Oktoberfesting, and this, I mean, this thing right here again, it looks right in par with the last two weeks. Brown bottle. 11.2 ounces. You know what it's missing? Um, the purity thing. But what are the ingredients? Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. It's there it is. Bavarian, Bavarian purity law. law. In accordance with the Bavarian purity law, not the German or whatever the other one said. Oh, so maybe this one. Well, no, it's a, it says import from Munich, Germany. But I don't know the difference between Germany and Bavaria. I'm going to be honest. Either. They <laughs> could be the same place. I don't know. But... So, uh, apparent, apparently, the Bavarian purity law using only water, malt, hops, and yeast. So, maybe it's just what you can put in it. There's no added ingredients. Hey, this is non-GMO beer. That's good to know. <laughs> I, I guess. I the, guess that's what that the, means. The website <laughs> says that their ingredients for this are water, hops, and malt. Okay. And that's it. There's no, none of that water, caramel dye, number five, yeah. or whatever we have. It's also available year-round in the United States, so that's got to be a good sign. This one is, yeah, this particular one. Oh, wow. So maybe in our secret Oktoberfest location, maybe we can go up there more often and get this one. And find it, yeah. That would be awesome. See. Uh, Awesome. Yeah. So what else are we going to do? We got got our Paul Inner. Pauliner, Pauliner, whatever it is. Yeah, we're gonna. Well, let's. I guess let's go ahead and review that one. 
All right, so let's crack this one open, and we'll talk about what we're going to do tonight because we're going to do something a little bit different. But let's crack it open and see what we got coming from Paul Winter. Ready? One, two, three. Smells good. I'm not sure how safe that was. Yeah. It has a distinctly different smell than the other yeah, two German a... Oktoberfests, too. Yeah, this one's a little different than the than the other ones. Let's see here. Oh, it's lighter. No, not really. I would say it's... I think it's darker, dude. Maybe I was just in the wrong light. It looks darker than the others yeah, we've it's had. A li- yeah, it's a little bit darker. It's got a much more caramel color to it. It also smells very strongly like a beer I had at dinner tonight. Uh, last week it talked about really wanting to find that Hershey stout from Yingling and then yes. being really disappointed to learn that it's only on tap in like the northeast. Hey, so, Yingling, can you send us a keg? I'll find a tap if you'll send me a keg. Shoot, Yingling, you don't have to just fly us up there. <laughs> We'll I buy the beer and everything. A, I think sending us a keg would be cheaper than flying us up there. <laughs> no, I guess. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So, but anyway, so I had this like chocolate stout at dinner tonight, and this has a similar smell. And I don't know if that's just because that that smell is stuck in my nose or something. It's got, a, one, it's got a similar smell. I wasn't a huge fan of the chocolate stout I had either. Oh, okay. Just was it too chocolatey or too stouty? Uh, it wasn't too anything. Was it too anything? It, so okay, so it tasted exactly the same as the smell of pipe tobacco. Okay, like that raisin smell. Yeah, chocolate raisin, chocolate covered raisins. Yeah, it 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 was a little disappointing. Gonna be honest, Aww, that's a sad day. I only got four. I only got four of them. So I guess you know, I'll I'll, I'll only be disappointed three more times. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, let's turn this Paul Inner up before it gets uh, hot and see what see yeah. what uh, goes on with it. Here is Paul Inner, Oktoberfest, beer number four for the Oktoberfest. Clank. Clank. That's distinctly different. Yeah. It's got, like, I can taste that, that kind of Oktoberfest caramel flavor. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is, the the type of malt they use. Yeah. But it's got something else, some kind of like twang in it. So, I mean, I ain't hating on it, but it's different. I need to do some reading on what makes beer taste differently. Um, Yeah, I don't... It tastes different than every other Oktoberfest we've had. Yeah, it does. So I don't know if that means it's a bad representation of Oktoberfest, or if the others were, or if it's just different. I think it's just different. I mean, I, just like there can be variety in different, in all your, well, I, mean, I don't know, I guess, I mean, I guess most of your ales taste very similar, most of your, you know, IPAs taste similar. Mm-hmm. There can be a little bit of variety. This one... Uh, okay, this is going to sound weird, but this almost tastes like an IPA and an Oktoberfest mixed together. Like, that's the twang that I get from it. Is it's, I get It's that. almost got like an IPA type of twang to it. Yeah, I get it's that. A little bit, it's a little bit more bitter mm-hmm. than some of the other Oktoberfests that we've had. Do you have, it's not bad. I was about to say, do you have like, like that, a little bit of like a 
bite mm-hmm. sensation, like like on the tip of your tongue and on the top of your the roof of your mouth a little yes, bit. That's exactly what it is. So I, I like trying to call an IPA mixture. Yeah, I I, I agree I with what you're saying like there. It. I don't not like it. It's not my favorite of the four Oktoberfests. No. I'm the I think alright, so right now I think the Hofbrau has probably been my favorite. I think I would agree with that. <coughs> the Hofbrau was good. The uh the Varsteiner was also very good. Yeah, the Varsteiner was good. I really enjoyed that one but too. I do think the uh the Hofbrau was. What's your least favorite? Oh, the lining Google. Lining, yeah. <laughs> I, so wouldn't, before, before I, wouldn't buy done, I wouldn't buy that again. No, before we've done, we've done uh, Sam Adams, mm-hmm. Lining Kugel, Hofbrau, and Varsteiner, uh, and then this one, the Polish. So we actually did five of them. Yep. Um, and sorry, uh, this episode is going to drop on November 1st, so it's no longer Oktoberfest. But it'll be our it'll be the culmination of our celebration, is what it will be. Yeah, we will also be beginning No Shave November. That's right, and I'm already into No Shave November. I'm like three months into No Shave November. I, yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's throw down a rating on this thing real fast. Uh, um, what do you got? What do you got? Tell me where you thinking, because I kind of know where I'm at. <sighs> See, I've, I've gone back and I'm I'm looking at what kind of what we've rated the other ones in the past. I think I'm going to have to give this four. Four okay. Luthers. I can't... It's not as bad as Line and Kugel, and I still gave Line and Kugel three and a half. Yeah. I can feel that, yeah. It's not as good as Softbrow on that, and that one got four and a half for me. Yeah. It's a... It, and I'm, I'm, I was going to give it three and a half, but I'm with you there. It's better than a Line and Kugel, so I'm not going to put it down there with a Line and Kugel. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm going to I'm going to say four as well. Now, unless four unless we can go back and say and bump Line and Kugel down to a three. No, because I, I think Line and Kugel was bad. I just didn't think it was a good well, Oktoberfest. Well, three is not bad. That's true. Three is you know we we've said three and three to four is good. Four and above is really good. Below three. See, and I would say this is a really good beer. It's just not what I would expect. It's not what I've gotten used to drinking Oktoberfest. That's that's fair. And our standard now is like the Hofbrau and the and the Varsteiner. Yeah. yeah, those I think those the those two favorite. are. If you can get your hands on one of those two, yeah, those two were definitely my favorite. Yes, for sure. I think we gave each one of those four and a half, didn't we? I may have given Varsteiner four. No, I think I gave it four and a half. I know I gave Hofbrau four. I think I gave Varsteiner. No, I gave Hofbrau four and a half. I gave Vars, Vars, uh, Varsteiner. Varsteiner four. Yeah. I think you might have given both of them a four. No, I gave uh, Hofbrau four and a half. You gave Hofbrau four and a half. You gave Varsteiner four. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, this one, this one is going to be comparable to a Varsteiner, but it's but it's different. Yeah, it's a little darker. It's, a it's little got different. it's got a little different, a little uh, harsher bite to it. Mm-hmm. Um. The flavor is similar until like the very end. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's got definitely got some Oktoberfest flair in mm-hmm. there. Um, you can tell it's 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 in that same taste vein, but it's just got something different right on the end that makes it just a little 
a little twangy. Yeah. I guess is the, I mean, only, that's the only way I know how to describe I mean, it. Mine's good. I'm like halfway done already. So <laughs> I'm about halfway done too. So, so it's, uh, it's easy to drink. I'm not, struggling to drink yeah, it. It's, it's, it's not one of those where you're like holding your nose and just throwing it down. Yeah, it's not cotillion. I'm, I, that was mean. I shouldn't have said that. Wow. That was, <laughs> you stuck that. I didn't even realize it. But, I mean, you're right. Or, or even worse, Mighty Banyan. Cotillion was awful. Hey, now, Mighty Banyan was pretty good to me. Yeah, you did like that one. You did like that one. I just, I don't know. I couldn't get on the, I couldn't get on the train. All right, so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to, we're going to pause and we're just going to have like a, a regular conversation. Um, what most of our conversations sound like. And so this is going to be completely chaotic. Um, we're going to talk about different beers we've liked for the last 14 to 15 weeks. We're going to talk about our favorite uh, sections in J.I. Packer uh, over the last 15 weeks, stuff that we've talked about, mm-hmm. things we may have learned. So it's just going to be like a spitball episode of recap of part one because last week we finished part one mm-hmm. of Concise Theology. So before we jumped into to part two, we kind of wanted to, since it, uh, it's our last Oktoberfest and we're kind of finishing up this little It's a good time thing. to hit the reset button and, yeah. and just yeah, kind of breathe a little bit. Recap. Yep. So that's what we're doing tonight. So we're not going to get into anything heavy. So if you're if you're uh, got your book out, you can put it away, and you'll probably just turn the podcast off. And yeah, don't turn the podcast off because you never know what we're going to say. I mean, yeah. we might say something completely stupid, which happens just about every week. So. Or or we might drop some wisdom about Kanye. Ooh, Kanye! Did you listen to the Kanye record? I listened to some of it. It's not bad. It's not okay. my. Th- it's not my style of music, obviously. Okay. Um, but the since I the feeling I get from it is it's written by a guy. It, we already the train is off it's, the tracks. Here it goes. So we're, we're going off the rails, people. So, but here's here's my here's what I get from it. It feels like it was written by a guy who is a new believer. Mm-hmm. who doesn't really know how to articulate what he's feeling. So he was just putting words on paper and didn't really care how it sounded or or how it came out. He was just writing what he was feeling and thinking. So here's my hot take right here. You ready for this? This is going to be terrible. Uh, Kanye already has better theology than the majority of people who write worship songs. I mean, <laughs> you're not the first person I've heard or read Heard so, say that or seen, you know, whatever. Before, before I read any reviews, I was like, okay, I don't want to hear what people think about this. I want to listen to it for myself, and I want to form my own judgment. So I went and listened to the whole record. It doesn't take very long. The whole record is only 27 minutes. Yeah, long. it's not long at all. And and two and a half of those minutes are a Kenny G solo, which took me by complete surprise. <laughs> I'm sure Kenny G was surprised, too. He was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> um... So you listen to the whole record, and and I, again, you know, I will appreciate I will appreciate this as a musician. Um, I really liked how Kanye stuck to what he knows best. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he is a rapper. I don't. I may not like rap. It may not be it may not be my favorite, but Kanye is a rapper, and that's what he stuck to. So like when people were singing, it was not Kanye. <laughs> it was somebody else who could actually sing. Mm-hmm. But when the rap came in. It was all Kanye all day, mm-hmm. um, and so I really, I really appreciated that. Uh, I really appreciated there. There was definitely some artistry in it, um, whether you like it or not. You have to say, you know, 
musically it was artistic it was it was kanye putting his voice to something mm-hmm. um and and yeah i mean i'll throw down that that i i would argue kanye has better theology than a lot of people who write worship songs today yep um key point being closed on sunday you're my chick-fil-a yeah <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> number one with eliminate i mean i didn't even know chick-fil-a was like wherever he is like i know chick-fil-a is everywhere Dude, but i didn't chick-fil-a is worldwide now they're getting kicked out of the united kingdom and all. i saw that so all right so we just have a lot to talk about yeah. so we're, we're totally rabbit trailing all night tonight yeah good luck uh, editing all this good, together rick good luck keep it up i'm just gonna cut out the first 20 minutes and print <laughs> <laughs> all right so looking back at the, some of the beers we've had um, What's your favorite beer? See, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> all right, all right, I'll make it easier. Give me your top three. Okay, top Not three. Not necessarily in order. Okay, in no particular order. And I've actually got them pulled up, so I'm like looking looking at them just to refresh my memory. Because you probably do the same thing. I don't have great memory sometimes. Um, so in no particular order was the Flesh and Blood IPA from Dogfish Head. Mm-hmm. I believe I've gone back and purchased that one after the fact. Right. Um, the classic city lager, lager from mm-hmm. Creature Comforts was good. And then, um, obviously, the uh, only five Luther beer we've had, Gaelic Ale from Highland, yeah. Highland Brewing. Um, I knew you were going to say Gaelic Ale. I figured Gaelic Ale would be your number one. You know... Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gave it a five, so technically it has to be your number. I guess one. you're right. And, I, I'm, and I'm, you know, looking back at the at the ratings we've given some of these, like Southern Pecan, I think got a four from both of us. Mm-hmm. Dragon's Milk was in the four and a half range for yeah. both of us. So, so here's something funny. So the other night I drank another Dragon's Milk, mm-hmm. and I did not like it as much as I did the first time. Hmm. So I have. I have, uh, what was I, I was totally just forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I've drank a couple of them since we did episode two. And, and I just, you know, it just, it didn't do it for me. I don't know if it was just because I was excited about trying something new then, but I would actually, like, if I were to rate it today, mm-hmm. I think I would only give it four losers. It was still good, but yeah. it just wasn't. I gave it like 4.5 yeah. back then, um, and and it just wasn't it wasn't a 4.5 to me. Knowing the other 4.5s that I've given now, yeah, and that's so, that's that's the other thing that I'm finding is it's hard to remember. Like when I say uh, classic city city lager was a four and a half liters, like what does that even mean now? Yeah, in in relation <laughs> to some you know some of the other fours and the five that I've you know, we've put out there so yeah um what about you what, what about your top three in no particular order top three in no particular order if i had to pick three um these are the three you are drinking for the rest of your life okay so i'm gonna go for sure i'm gonna include uh lager jamming in that one because i really Solid. liked lager jamming um it's a good one and I really, I'll, I'll go in and join him with the Gaelic Ale because it was really good too. I almost bought that tonight. 
And and my third one would probably be Classic City Lager. Okay. That would probably be my, my top three has have been Lager Jammin, Gaelic Ale, and Classic City Lager. Um right. so far. Alright, so on the flip side of that, what what of the beers that we have tried are you not touching ever again? Number one, Mighty Banyan, never touching it again. That's what I I've gone back and <laughs> bought that one. Yeah, I know you liked it. I yeah, really yeah. enjoyed that one. But I mean like I, I legit gave it one and a half Luthers. Like, I just, there was nothing about it that I liked for some reason. Didn't get, I, I thought you why. gave it two and a half, but one Luther was the can. Was the can, yeah. Because the can was awesome. Yeah. Like, that's why, that's part of the reason I bought it, was because the can looked ridiculously cool. And I was like, mm-hmm. this has to be a good beer. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> so, but you gave it four, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I, gave, gave, it I gave it a pretty good score. And I technically gave it one and a half, even though I'm down as a two and a half, because I gave one point just for the can. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think for me, if... Cotillion is probably the one that I'm just... if it's, Unless it's the only beer available, I'm probably never going to drink that again. Yeah, I would I would go... That's, that's my number two, is Cotillion. Yeah. So, um... But yeah... We need to discuss uh, what our beer plans for the next few weeks are going to be as we're getting ready to go into Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's no Thanksgiving beers, unfortunately. Not that I know of, at least. Don't they make, like... This is going to sound gross, so don't don't be judgy. But don't they make, like, cranberry sauce-flavored stuff? Mm. There's people that make all kinds. There's like blueberries and blackberries and strawberries. I mean, there's all kind of different flavor beers, but. Um, I'm just going to search the best beers to serve at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then we could. Oh, dude, this is going to be amazing. Uh-oh. I don't know if we can find any of these. We need to talk about this after we. Yes. I've seen some good ones. I've seen zero of these anywhere, so. I don't know if we'll be able to find any of those. All right, cool. Anyway, so yeah, there's our there's our favorite beers um, and least and, favorite and least favorite from the first fifteen episodes of and and I mean, if if I'm giving honorable mentions, like I'm gonna throw in for sure a Hofbrau mm-hmm. um, as as one of my top beers. Um, I really really any of the Oktoberfest that we've done. With the exception of Lion and Kugel. I was about to say, not Lion and Kugel. <laughs> you know what? I, the one that I keep I forget about is the Liberty Ale. Yeah, that one was good. Like, I think back to episode was. I think back to episode one in the Southern Pecan. You know, that that one was a, was a decent beer. Mm-hmm. Um, there hasn't been many, with the exception of, like, Cotillion and the Lion and Kugel Oktoberfest, yeah. that I would never touch again. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know if that says. A, I don't know if that says a lot about the beers or a lot about me. <laughs> could could be both. It may say a lot about both. You never know. I do like. I mean, I do like beer. That's just, I really do too. Like that's just and, that's and, just the truth. <laughs> truth of the matter yeah, at this point. I'm, I'm with you, man. Like. Like, I've gotten to where, like, I really, like, I don't go out and buy beer like I used to because I want to go buy something that I'm going to enjoy drinking now mm-hmm. because of all these different beers that we've had. Yeah. 
Like, I, I would normally, like, I would just go by the gas station and pick up a six or a yingling and be done. Yeah. For the weekend and, and be like, oh, you know, I could enjoy yingling. And, I, you know, I still will occasionally go mm-hmm. pick up some just some yingling and 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 have it for the weekend. But but I'm finding myself, like, when I go to the store now, like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I legit want something good that I've never had or, mm-hmm. you know, something that looks like I want to try it. Or, yeah. So that's uh, I'm going I'm doing the same thing now, dude. It's like just go don't don't fall into the same rut of just getting what you've always gotten. Yeah. Step out. Yeah, step out a little Live bit. A little. Mm-hmm. There's more. Live there's more to the beer world than Budweiser and Yingling. Let's talk about our favorite topics that we've discussed in Concise Theology. All right. Do you want to start? What have you What have you learned from Concise Theology? I mean, there's there's been a lot. Um, <laughs> so, I think we may have told y'all this a little bit. I I have a little bit of of uh, training. In, in like theology and theological studies. Rick, this is Rick. Rick. Rick does. Rick has a little bit of training in theological studies. Patrick is really just kind of listen to Rick ramble on about stupid stuff all the time. And he's kind of gotten interested in theological studies because of Rick. <laughs> Patrick did not go to school for um, ministry or uh, theology or getting a... Or, no, MDiv or anything like that. So I got a good old bachelor's degree from the university I went to in a <laughs> not in, in, in a sec, in a secular uh, in, in a secular field. So yep. um, man, I learned I've learned so much, and it's funny. Is like I've learned a lot, and I also know that I've forgotten. Just as much as I've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's really stuck with me, and I think it was in episode four when we covered it, um, we talked about God being the creator. Mm-hmm. So God is intuitively creative, but then man made in the image of God is also intuitively creative. And yes. So man needs to have a creative outlet, whether that's mm-hmm. writing songs or making things with their hands or recording podcasts or whatever it is, um, man, man will always drift toward a creative avenue, regardless of if it's how they're making their living or not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like the, the, the longer I live, the more people I talk to, like everyone I've almost everyone that I encounter has that desire to have to do something creatively. And I think that's just so cool to see how like God instilled that. Even that such such a minute detail as his creativity. And then when he said he let us make man in our image, mm-hmm. that didn't just mean like it doesn't mean how we look. That means yeah. how we act and how we function and um our nature. Yeah, is going to be well, reflective of God. Yeah, and that, I mean all uh, that going all the way back to the beginning, 
going back to creation ties to exactly what we talked about last week in our like that's part of our humanness mm-hmm. is that that creative instinct that instinct to you know uh you know and, and one of the things i think about is like entrepreneurs they're given like they have that instinctive creativeness to build a business or to build a product or to build a uh something that they can sell or you know they have the the smarts to go hey this person made this really cool thing i'm going to think of a way to tell the whole world uh they need this like convince people why they need it like i I remember reading a long time ago, I read the biography of Steve Jobs, and they were talking about how Steve Jobs' real geniusness was really his his ability to make you believe that you needed the product that he had. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was really not all of that life-changing outside of, like, the iPod, um, the iPhone, you know, things like that. You know, the, yeah. his stuff was not technologically life-changing, and, and Apple has never really been on the forefront of, like, they have the newest technology and the greatest and the best, and they're the they're the ones pioneering everything. They just take like what other people do and mm-hmm. make it the best. Yeah, you know, you think of the the iPhone. The iPhone was not the first smartphone on the market, but when smartphones came out with the Blackberries and all that kind of stuff, and people, you know, you had the whole like keyboard and the the, the buttons were so small you could barely even text. Yeah, you know, uh, my wife had a couple of phones that had the. Had the key, the yeah. full keyboard, but it wasn't a touchscreen kind of thing. Yeah, but then you get then you get Apple come along and say, okay, why can't we take this idea of the BlackBerry, but integrate the keyboard into a screen? Mm-hmm. So you have one button on the whole phone, and so all they did was take the idea of a BlackBerry and make it all digital. Yeah, you know, same thing with the iPod and the iTunes. You know, you growing up, if you're if if you're my age at least. You grew up with a uh, hundred CDs in your car, dude. Until about two years ago, I still drove around <laughs> with a hundred CDs in my car. You know, but Apple said, "Okay, why don't we make a device that you can load all of these hundred CDs and make it digital mm-hmm. and carry it around in your pocket?" Yeah, you know, and and, and think about what that is. That's led to the uh, creation of things like Spotify and Amazon Music and Apple Music, like. Yeah, like all these streaming services now, where people don't mm-hmm. own records, they don't own CDs. They yeah, they pay to stream them. Yeah, and artists make money that way. They yeah. make money off of however many times you stream it. I do know people who still like um, refuse to let go of that old way. They like they still go and buy <laughs> CDs and uh, will buy records on. Well, I guess not on iTunes anymore because iTunes doesn't exist. Unless, well, if you haven't updated your computer, iTunes still exists. I'm being, I'm a slacker and have not updated my computer yet. Well, your computer has also given us some issues, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. This has happened. All right, what's what's but, what's a, something from our first 13, 14 weeks of discussion that you've so you've uh, grasped grasped onto grasped on um one thing i have really appreciated is is exactly what packer has intended to do with this is make each one of these just a concise summary Mm -hmm. but even in that concise summary you have a well-rounded view of that that particular subject so i think about i think about the topic of predestination okay 
there have been multiple volumes of books published about the topic of predestination and Packer sums it up in like a page and a half, Mm -hmm. you know, but even in that page and a half, there's so much meat and there's so much content to, to chew on. And he gives you enough scriptural references to chew on to say, you know what, this is really good material for me to think about. This is, this is really good material for me to focus on so that I can continue to grow. He's not saying that he's giving you all of the answers in every aspect of every argument, but he is saying, hey, here's enough for you to take it, chew on it, think about it, mm-hmm. decide if this, if you agree with this doctrine or if you don't agree with this doctrine, maybe you have a little different view uh, of predestination. Maybe you view, um, you know, that the nothing is predestined or, or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. But, but how do you defend that from Scripture based off of, you know, what Packer presents, the information that Packer presents supporting predestination? You know, so... I really like that, but but the other thing is, and and because I have had um, theological training uh, to to some extent, it, I think a lot of times I can get, and I found this like when I was writing papers or stuff, I would get buried in the weeds of like one topic, mm-hmm. and so having these little short summaries and just being and just trying to think off the cuff on a lot of these topics has kind of has kind of spurred up some of that stuff that I may have read a long time ago or, or in the last couple of years um, that have said that, that, that I didn't remember, but because I, you know, I read this one little line and it reminded me of something that I read a long mm-hmm. time ago. Um, you know, like I read uh, Augustine's confessions, like, I don't know, eight or nine months ago, but we talked about something in, in God being eternal. And, and it reminded me, of the way that Augustine talked about God being uh, eternal, you know, him standing outside of time, and God doesn't view things as past, present, and future the way we think about them. You know, he views all of time as one one aspect. That's a that's a real Augustinian argument, mm-hmm. and and I probably would have never remembered that even just reading it nine months ago had I not dove into Packer. Yeah, yeah, Packer is. Um... I feel like Packer could write, now he doesn't have, I don't anticipate him living long enough to do this, but um, that's because he's 93. So, um, Bill, Because we looked it up. Yeah, because we looked, well, you looked it up. I did nothing. Um, <laughs> I feel like he could write volumes of books on each of these topics. He probably could. I mean, some of them would be longer, some of them would be shorter. I'll have to look and see if he has a full-blown, like, systematic theology book. I've never hmm. looked in to see if he actually has a, a legitimate, like, long, thousand-page systematic theology yeah. book. You know, because, you know, I think about the guys that, that I have read, uh, the whole systematic theology I've read. I'm actually um, reading again um, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, which is probably one of the, the most infamous systematic theologies, one of the first that was ever written. Mm-hmm. And then common in, in theological schools and, and Bible schools and stuff like that are guys like Wayne Grudem and their systematic theology, um, Millard Erickson and his systematic theology, um, Greg Allison has one called Historical Theology mm-hmm. um, that kind of parallels with Wayne Grudem's. And so all of these books, I mean, each one of these books is 800 to 1,000 pages long. But they, you know, they're giving you longer versions of what Packer has done here in a page and a half. Yeah. You know, so they go into more detail. They give you more detail on it. Mm -hmm. But Packer does such a good job of kind of 
of of skimming the surface just enough to to pique your interest and give you a, uh, an idea to go, okay, I need to study this more so I can understand it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for someone like me who's, I mean, I don't have any theological studying or training or however you want to put it, like Packer's, how Packer goes about it is more than enough for me. You know, <laughs> like, like there are certain topics like I want to go back and, and dive deeper into, but as we, you know, when, if we ever finish this, if we ever finish concise theology and move on to something else, if Jesus doesn't come back first, yeah, it's going to be, you know, whichever happens first. Um, but you know, once we get through it, I'm going to have a few things that I want to go back and look and look into it in depth. Um, and for someone like me, like who doesn't have that training, this has been really, it's been really good to read and it's, it's making me think about things, but it's not so much that like my brain melts every single yeah. time I read it. There yeah. are times that my brain has melted, especially when we talk things out. Yeah. Cause when, <laughs> when you try to, and, and I couldn't imagine reading like an, you know, an entire systematic theology. It's rough. And, and, <laughs> and not closing the book and going, well, I got nothing out of that. <laughs> Yeah, I I remember for one of my uh, systematic theology classes, we had to read all of of Erickson's book, which is, I don't know, some 980-something pages or right over 1,000 pages, something like that. And, and, I mean, it was literally like two or three chapters a week. And so you're talking about reading 100 to 200 pages a week Mm -hmm. in in this book of, and, and I mean... And that's on top of all the other work you have to yeah. do in all your other classes yeah. that are going on yeah, at the same time. We're, we're not talking about the total reading scheme of, of seminary because that is a that is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it it is this thing where you I mean you read it and it's not like you're reading a uh, hundred pages of Harry Potter, right? You know, you're reading a hundred pages of technical writing. You know, it's you're you're reading a hundred pages of a textbook is what you're reading. Yeah. When you get when you dive into these systematic theology, so it's you know, if you're if you're a, a note taker in your book like I am, you know you're highlighting you're writing notes in this thing, and and you're like, man, I made a lot of progress tonight. No, I read three pages. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so that's how you you hear about these guys ending up you know staying up doing research until two, three, four in the morning because they get so into it, and and I've done this a couple of times. Like I'll just get on a I'll get on a uh, run and I'll be like, you know, writing down notes and, and marking up books. And then I'll turn around. And I'll be like, Oh, I should probably at least get a couple hours of sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah. Cause the sun's coming up in 20 minutes and yeah. I have class of eight. So <laughs> yeah, I, I have, I have been in that boat before, but, but, uh, yeah, I re- and, and that's, you know, that's the thing that I appreciate about this book. Um, and one of the reasons that when we, when we started talking about doing this podcast, one of the reasons I suggested it, because I have read this book before mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that I feel like the church has kind of failed at, um, specifically is teaching theology. Mm. You know, we, we've kind of, we've kind of gotten to this point where we think, you know, theology is for pastors and people who are teachers and all this kind of stuff. No, theology is is for everyone. Like if you were a Christian, you should be doing theology. And, and so it's, you know, it's, it's part of the, part of what I want to want to do as, as somebody who studied it 
is is help encourage people to realize theology is not boring and it's not this this weird thing that that only weird people do um you know and 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 only only people who want to read like the whole bible four times through in a year or something crazy like that you know it's not that's not these people right here like mm-hmm. theology is something that you're that you take when you go to work you know and your coworker asks you who is Jesus? And you have to describe Jesus. When you describe Jesus, you're doing theology, mm-hmm. you know, and, and realizing that theology impacts every part of our life, whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, that's part of the reason. Cause another, another passion that I have along with theology is, is uh, apologetics and defending the faith. And, and how do we offer a reasoned defense to some of these questions that people have or better yet, how do we just live our lives so that we show people around us that we believe what we say we believe, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of, that's really, and then that's the part of apologetics that I think about is, is just in your normal everyday, like worldview stuff, living my life, going to my job, working, you know, going to the grocery store, doing all this kind of stuff. How does my life reflect that kind of theology to the people who are around me? Yeah. So, yeah, the, um, you're talking about theology and it's kind of how it applies to our life, um, just in general. And, uh, you know, I just looked it up real quick while you were talking, so I was listening. Um, <laughs> but it's fine. I, I was listening. Um, but, you know, you know, theology is just the study of our belief and practice. And yeah, and, well, I mean, it's the study of God because you yeah. have theos, mm-hmm. which is God, and then you got ology, which is the study of. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then there's four major, like, four major themes of theology, or four major like topics, or how it's or branched out. And mm-hmm. um, let's just talk about these real quick. Um, so that you've got exegetical theology. Historical mm-hmm. theology, systematic mm-hmm. theology, which we've talked about a lot tonight, mm-hmm. and practical theology. Yeah. Or some people call it practical, they call it biblical theology. Right. So, um, I mean, just working backwards, back to back to the beginning, practical theology would just be like, how do you put what you know into practice, or how do you apply mm-hmm. it to your life, how do you live it out? Yeah. Um, systematic theology is... Why don't you explain systematic theology there? So, yeah, so systematic theology is is really looking to uh, put into, like, a, think about putting it into a system, okay? Um, when you get into systematic theology, you often find different categories. So uh, something that we've talked about here on the podcast is, is a, a more Calvinistic view or a more um, Arminian view, um, or you could have a even even a there's a Pentecostal version of systematic theology, and it's 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 what you the parameters that you use to kind of define your theology hmm. is is okay. where systematic theology is going to fall into. So you know somebody who is who is a Calvinist is going to read Scripture with a certain what we call a certain hermeneutic. So it's the way that they read Scripture, the way that they interpret Scripture. They're going to interpret scripture a specific way based off of their theology. Mm. And their theology is kind of based out of a system. Now, it's important to remember that no matter what type of theology you're doing, whether it's historical, systematic, uh, or practical, or biblical, um, I think the other one was exegetical. I, I actually may put biblical in more with exegetical than yeah. practical, but mm-hmm. um, but you would say, 
you know, uh, from a systematic view, this is what I should believe. And you try to, you try to make your system, uh, as logically coherent as possible. Yeah. Okay. Whereas historical theology says, okay, what have, uh, what have, what did the early church fathers believe? What did the reformers believe? What Mm -hmm. does the church today believe? And, and you can, and when you talk about historical theology and you can do this with really kind of any branch of theology, um, but but mostly with historical, you can say, okay, there's like conservative historical theology, there's liberal historic theology, and you get to, to guys like Schleiermacher um, and and Rudolf Bultmann and some of these guys, and and uh, where they come up with these kind of weird interpretations mm-hmm. that aren't that don't really fit a system necessarily, um, but they're drawing from these historical figures, right? Um, and so so that's where you get historical, and that's why like I think pairing historical and systematic theologies together mm-hmm. give you a very, very oh, kind of good. robust look at what theology has, number one, done over time, mm-hmm. but also how these systems have developed. How yeah. did Calvin uh, write his institutes? You know, the, the, the version of the institutes that we have today is not the first edition. That's right. not the first version. He revised it over and over and over again for like 20 years, and he added to it, and he added to it. It started off as... Uh, this little like pocket-sized book, he wanted people to carry it around as a pocket-sized book is more like a reference manual mm-hmm. um, than anything else. And what it grew into was this two-volume, you know, thousand-page uh, diatribe on all things related to God. And it's divided up into, I think, four books. Um, and, and each book has multiple 20-something chapters that, that, that really hit on a specific topic of the Christian faith. Hmm. Um, but, but it's what, I mean, it is what it, what he believed it was. It's, it's the institutes. It's what, uh, institutionalizes the Christian religion. You know, if you're going to be a Christian, you number one have to at least think about these things. You don't have to necessarily agree with Calvin. Uh, you know, there's areas where I would say I don't agree with Calvin. Um, but there's areas where I do agree with Calvin. And so, you know, um, but but it's good to have his writing, his system of it mm-hmm. written down so that I can understand it logically, yeah. and I can flow through it and decide, you know, okay, I think he may, I think he may be wrong in this version uh, or in this interpretation of his scripture, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he may be stepping too far over here on on this one specific thing that he's saying. Mm-hmm. But at least I know what his system is. So so that's that's a that's a little brief on systematic and historical theology. Yeah. Yes, and and just to, like, so the systematic theologies, I think, like, it's important to remember that Calvin lived in a much different time than we do. Oh, yeah, way different. So so what applied to him is not going to apply to Rick or Patrick or Benny or whoever. So that's where we have to be uh, led by the Holy Spirit and discern what can we glean, what can we glean from uh, Calvin, or what can we glean mm-hmm. from Luther, or what you know, what can we, what can we glean from the writings of these guys who who wrote these the, who wrote these things down and how to live life yeah. and apply it to our apply it to our own lives, yeah. knowing that life is much different in 2019 than it was in yeah 1519. Yeah, if you if you would have asked John Calvin what a cell phone is and and to pull your Bible up on a cell phone, he you know. He would have looked at you like you're crazy. Yeah. 
you know. Um, but, but, but then at but, the same time, if John Calvin walks into a, a lot of churches today and pulls out a pulls out a, a hard copy Bible, there are some people in there who are going to look at him like he's crazy because they yeah. only have it on their phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so exactly, you know, which is which is funny because that's where you that's where you get. Um, historical theology, that's where historical theology can play such an important role mm-hmm. when it's paired up with systematic theology because you look at um, you look at some of these some of these teachings of these guys, uh, of preachers and, and mega preachers today mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, okay man, I've heard that before, I read that in my church history class, that's Arianism you know um, that's you Arianism, know, Patrick <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a common a common example of Arianism would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, who believe that Jesus wasn't divine. Well, that's what Arius taught that Jesus wasn't divine. Mm-hmm. So, so the more you learn about the history of the development of doctrine, uh, the more you can recognize that same problem today. Uh, mm-hmm. Another common example is is uh, a guy named Marcion or the heresy of Marcionism. So, Marcion believed. That he could just, you know, up and cut out parts of the New Testament. So you have this Marcionite New Testament that did not include, like, the the letters to Paul and some other stuff. He kind of left it to the Gospels and, like, a revelation. And, um, hmm. But, but you, you know, he just decided he was going to do that. Well, then you get to a guy like uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, instrumental in founding uh, of America, who believed that, that, number one, Jesus did not perform miracles. And, and so, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of like this alternate type of deist. Um, he's not necessarily a deist, but he's almost more like a Marcionist because there, there's, there's some rumors and I, I haven't read the history enough to know. Um, but I've heard these, I've heard these stories that like, uh, he would take and he would cut out sections of the Bible that had Jesus performing miracles. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't want to, he didn't want to believe them. Yeah. And so, you know, you almost have this like, Marcionism combined with this this type of Arianism, where you don't want to believe this specific thing, and so you mix the Bible to say to make it say what you want it to say, you know. And that's what we talked about: exegesis versus eisegesis. Mm-hmm. You know, exegesis is where you explain you you exegete the passage, you explain mm-hmm. it, to, and and eisegesis is you isolate the passage. You say. You know, I'm just going to take this this one verse. You know, and and the the most common example I can think of off the top of my head is Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you to quit the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Well, obviously, God wants you to be rich because He wants to prosper you. No, that's not at all what that means. No, it is not even close. It's not at all what that passage is about. That's not even close to the context of what that passage yeah. is about. But if you pull that one phrase out, you know, you can eisegete that that phrase and make it. Say whatever you want it to say. You know, um, for for so, clarity on that, listen to episode one of the Beers of Bible podcast. Yeah, <laughs> go back to go back to the very beginning and listen to all of them. Um. So so yeah, I mean, I I have really mm-hmm. this is this is my second time through Packer's Concise Theology, and I've I've really I mean it's been probably ten years since I read it, but I've I'm enjoying it now yeah. as much the second time as I did the first time. Yeah, and and I'm I'm really, really am enjoying it. I'm I'm learning a lot about the character of God, about the about how he's created us to to worship him, us to mm-hmm. um or how he's you know, how he created us to function. 
I've also forgotten a lot of that what I've learned, so I have to go back and read it again. But um, but I'm I'm for sure very much enjoying it so far. You'll be amazed though at, at something you can't just immediately recall, but then you'll read something and it'll remind you mm. of something that you read in Packer, and you'll say, "Hang on, I've read something similar to that, and it was in this book." And, and yeah, you know that's why I I just I tell people like. You don't have it's it's not it shouldn't be your goal to like memorize every book that you read, but you should read books and and you should mark in books and you should write in books. You know, uh, if something reminds you of something, just write it in there and put a little sticky flag on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some something, something that I do that I picked up from a guy um, I was reading or I was listening to a podcast from a guy named Russell Moore, and he said when he reads, he would stick flags these little sticky uh, flags in books to to remind him to come back to that or something like that. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, he may put the book down and then come back to it a year later and open it up and and then he would read that section that he stuck the sticky flag on and go, oh, I remember what I was talking. And, you know, and, and so, but but it, it makes it a whole lot easier to find that little section yeah. if you have a little a little marker there that just says, you know, you know, or, or if you're going to flip through a book and say, you know, if I'm going to flip through Calvin's Institutes, well, I can I can use my flags and, and skip through it a whole lot faster than if I try to thumb through it page by page. Yeah. You know, if I can get to parts that I've highlighted and go, okay, I remember that. All right, next. It was after that. It was right. Okay, here's what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, and, and then that's, you know, you're going to start, the more you can pull those things together, the more you're going to have better recall of it because you're going to be using it over and over and over again. I mean, that's how you, that's how we memorize things as a musician. I would say, you know, the way that I memorized a song was to play it over and over and over again. My yep. piano teacher used to make me, you know, play four or five measures of a song until I could play it from memory. And then I would go to the next four or five measures. And I, and I, and I would do the whole song like that. But when it came down to it, at the, end of, at the end of the day or when it came time for me to do a recital or a performance, you know, I could play that song with my eyes closed because I had played it so many times that yep. my hands knew exactly what to do. Yep. So, so it's, I mean, it's the same way with any other discipline that you have in your life. You have to be disciplined enough to repeat it over and over and over again to the point where you think, if I hear this one more time, I'm going to throw my hands up in disgust. Yeah. You know, but, but at the moment when you need it, you will have immediate recall of it because you've driven it so far into your brain. Yeah. That it's just there, you know. So yeah, there you go. It's a good word. So the good news is for our listeners, um, we've only got, if I'm doing the math right, which is possible I'm not because I don't do math good. Uh, fifty-seven, sixty-five more sections of concise theology. At an average of one to two per week. <laughs> part three is actually the longest part of all of them. Yeah. As I'm flipping through this. And part four is short, so. Yeah, part four is really short. Part two, we will probably move a little bit quick through that. Because a lot of those can be combined. Yeah. But anyway. We'll talk about that and we'll come back next week and. And, and dive into part two. And do the thing. So. God revealed as Redeemer. Yes. There you go. There you go. So if they want to find us on the social medias, where would people go to find us? So if you are an Instagrammer... Sorry, I dropped something. Oh, well. It's gone. Oh, well. Um, 
So if you're an Instagrammer, we are on the Instagram at uh, Beers and Bible underscore. Mm-hmm. And if you're on Twitter, we're at Beers and Bible P1. The logos for both of those, in case you haven't been able to find us, um, is uh, like a blue teal background with what looks like two beer glasses slash an open Bible. If you look at it one way, it looks like beer glasses, and another way, it looks like an open Bible. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Our graphic design guy is amazing. Yes, he so, is. So, um, shout out to you, buddy. Graphic design guy. <laughs> Can't drop your name because it probably gets you fired. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you can email us. We are at um, our email is beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. Spell it all out beers yep. and Bible. And, uh, you know, hit us up, send us a message, email us, let us know. Hey, look, I've been contacted by another uh, listener. Um, and they're going to send us some more beer oh, that we possibly, possibly never had. So they're going to send us some stuff and, and so they, they said they wanted to do it. And I was like, sweet man, bring it on. So, so we're going to get, he's like, I'm just going to send it to you. And I said, okay, cool. Um, so if we've had it, you know, we'll drink it. And if we haven't had it, we'll review it. We're, we'll we're still going to drink it. I mean, yeah, we're still going to drink it. Regardless, gonna drink regardless it it's going to get drank. So drunk, drink. Whatever it is, so so there you go. So we'll we'll have hopefully some new stuff coming in in the next uh, next few weeks. Yep. Um, and and we will keep doing this thing. Yeah. Until we run out of beer, which is probably never going to happen. Yeah. There's there's literally hundreds of beers that we could get our hands on. So true story. You're stuck with us for a while, beers and Bible hey, podcast look, fam. Sometime in the in the near future, we're going to do. A Trappist beer. It's coming. I don't know what that means, but... Exactly. But it's... Trappist, so Trappist beer is beer that is brewed by monks oh. in the mountains. Yeah. Okay. Trappist beer is, is supposed to, like... We're not going to buy a six-pack of Trappist beer because they're like 40 bucks. But but we I found a place where we can buy singles. Sweet. And they're only like 6 or $7 a piece. That's so. still not bad. No. But for one beer, $6 is pretty expensive. True. <laughs> I bought I brought ten beer home tonight for ten beers home for like twenty dollars. So there you go. So we're gonna I'm gonna try to get us get us a Trappist beer. Sweet coming up here soon. So until next time, we hope you've enjoyed our kind of recap and rabbit trailing and Kanye West and all of the trigger words that have get Christians going these days. Yep. I'm trying to think of any more trigger words I can throw in. Make sure you go listen to the Jesus is Lord record. Jesus is king, bro. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And you're my Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and you're my Chick-fil-A number one with a lemonade. <laughs> so, until next week, we thank you for joining us here on the Beers Bible Podcast. We hope you have a wonderful week. And peace out. See you later. You enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. 